Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. All right. If you want to get ahead today, then you can go ahead and get ahead. We're going to be going to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And tomorrow, tomorrow is Memorial Day. What in the world is Memorial Day? You know, Memorial Day is the day that we in the United States of America have set aside to remember. In fact, it used to be called Remembrance Day. That's what it was called back uh, when it started 150 years ago, 1868. Wow, 150 years ago. And it's the day that we have set aside to remember those who have given their lives in the defense of our nation's decided best interest. It's not Veterans Day, okay? It is Memorial Day. Veterans Day is a day that we remember all the veterans and we thank them for all their service. But Memorial Day is the day that we remember those who died in military service. It's a very somber moment of remembrance. Sad to say, our nation, the United States of America, even though we want to be a nation of peace, we are, as every other nation is, we are a nation of war. In 1775, one year before we signed the Declaration of Independence, we called upon the citizens of our country to volunteer in military service because there were causes that we felt were necessary for us to defend. And in 1775, we began engaging in the first war that we as a people felt necessary in order to preserve the freedoms, in order to protect the lives, and to grant uh, continued opportunities for the citizens of our nation. 243 years ago, since that time, we have engaged in 65 wars and armed conflicts. That's a number. There have only been less than two decades in the last 243 years that our nation has enjoyed war-free peace. We enjoy peace within our borders, but that does not mean that we are not constantly and consciously and considerately and committed to sending our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, our Coast Guard to places that we know that if we do not protect the freedoms in that place, those freedoms will soon be in threat in our home. In the last 243 years, it has cost our nation 1,350,000 plus men and women who have given their lives in defense of our freedoms. If you did the math, you would find out that that was a little more than 5,500 soldiers each year. If you further drew that down, you would realize that for the last 243 years, we have averaged 100 of our military men and women 
dying on the field of service each week. Each week. That's an amazing sacrifice. And it demands that we remember. An American hero, Senator John Glenn, said this. If you can read, thank a teacher. If you can read English, thank a soldier. And that is the absolute truth. Without regard as to whether you live in the United States of America or if you live in Europe, in English-speaking Europe, you can thank an American soldier if you are able to stand in your freedom and join together with others and even worship freely. Today, the opportunities that we have today the things that we can do, not only joining together in worship, but the fact that you can go to the lake today and enjoy time with your friends or, or that you can, you know, uh, go to a mall and, and, and feel safe and secure, that you are able to, to uh, you know, attend school, the school of your choice, that you are able to, to go to a, a, you know, a, a mall and purchase something and feel as though that you are relatively safe. That is because of a United States military man or woman who stood in the gap, who've offered their lives in sacrifice, and who went to war and did not come home. Their families, their friends, believe me, this would be a different world. Regardless of our nationality, regardless of our race, our color, our culture, our religion, Without regard to the creed that we hold, we owe our freedoms, we owe our lives, we owe our liberties, and we owe the opportunity that you and I have to pursue happiness, to pursue the job that we want, to live in the house that we choose, to drive the car that we like. We owe every one of those freedoms to someone who paid the ultimate price. God bless America. God bless those fallen soldiers. They gave what they gave around the world so that we could have a better world. And they're still giving every day. Tomorrow at 3 p.m., I would encourage you, as will I, pause because our U.S. Congress set 3 p.m. local as the moment that we as a nation would gather together in each time zone and there we would offer a moment of remembrance. I will offer my thanks to God and my thanks to these families. And tomorrow, I'm asking you to stand with our grateful nation and declare your personal thanks in remembrance of these fallen Comrades, I will pray that God helps us to avoid war whenever possible. But I will also, knowing that our nation, desiring to be a nation of freedom, a nation of peace, but living as a nation of necessary war, as I said, I will pray that we will be able to avoid wars when necessary, but when unavoidable, I will pray that we fight and win. 
Our nation is a benevolent nation. Unlike many others who, if they had won, you would not be experiencing the freedoms that we enjoy today. We in America live in a bubble. We live in a protected space. Travel with me to some other country who they have not had and do not have others willing to give their lives in a moment's notice to protect an ideal that you should be free, that you should have life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness, and you will find people in poverty with no opportunity, with no joy, with no hope. You will find despot governments taking and not giving anything. God bless our nation. I pray that when it is necessary that we fight to win. Will you pray with me now? And then tomorrow at three, would you remember once again? Father, we ask you, sir, to bless the families and the memories of those, Lord, who gave their all on the fields of service. Father, we humbly beseech you, Lord, that war would fade from the earth, Lord, and would not visit our nation and other nations, Lord, that we are joined to. But God, when it does, we pray that you would grant us strength, Lord, for the grace, Lord, of caring and loving and giving, Lord, is on our nation. We will help others, Lord. We turn around, God, and rebuild, Lord, things that were necessary, Lord, to destroy. God, help us, sir. Help us, God, to be a strong nation, to be one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And God, may we never forget. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. As a military man myself and many of you also serving in the military in the past or having family who, who have stood on the battlefields, you know that we can easily identify three stages of war. What are these three stages of war? Well, number one, there's the romance of war. I'm certain that many of you are familiar with war having this romantic tone that, that, that people imagine that they are going to, to go somewhere and do something great and, and, and win for right reasons and, and come home and march in the parade and, 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 and receive all of the accolades because, because you did it, because you, you, you accomplished something, you saved someone, you, 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 you saved a nation, you, you provided freedoms because all of the glories of war. War has a certain romance to it. It does. Like many other things, there is a romance of war, a, a, a feeling that, that I'm going to go do something worthwhile. The day after Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, 
On December the 8th, 1941, hundreds of thousands of men and women poured out of their homes, out of office buildings, every age and every stage of life, and, and volunteered themselves because of this feeling that they were going to go and accomplish something worth their lives. And they pushed themselves out of the envelope of comfortability believing that they would go and win and return again and be a part of the hero that we know as the American military. There are glories in victories that everyone wants to taste. The romance of war. Number two, the reality of war. The reality of war sets in when you step into war. When you get into the moment, when you get into the reality that all of a the sudden there, there is no romance in war on the battlefield, all of a sudden it's a different ideology, all of a sudden the carnage and the cost becomes a reality and, 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 and you lose all romantic considerations that war was ever connected with any glory. The romance of war, the reality of war. Number three, the remembrance of war. The third stage of war is the remembrance because after the war is over, what we are left with is the remembrance of the sacrifices that it took in order for us to accomplish the goals that we had. And, and we are left with the remembrance of war so that we would hope that it would never be necessary again to go or to send our sons and our daughters off to such horrible places to witness such carnage to see such cost. There are so many stories of heroes who gave their life in sacrifice. But make no mistake, history is not written by those who gave their lives, but rather by those who remember them. They will not live if they do not live in you. Many times we see war as only a human endeavor. It is not. The original war is a heavenly war between God and Satan. The righteous army of God led by Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, has been locked in an immortal combat with the wicked demons of death and their evil master, the Prince of Darkness. They have been locked in this immortal combat for ages before the history of man ever began to be written in the pages of Genesis. Jesus reveals this conflict that has been raging in the heavenlies and on earth. He speaks about it all through the Gospels. We can see the struggles of the disciples of Christ when, 
when they are commissioned to engage in this war themselves. You see, they have always depended on their commander-in-chief. They have always depended on Jesus. He has walked with them and he's led them and he's handled all the conflicts. But now, now in Luke chapter 22, as Jesus is nearing the point of crucifixion, he turns and he commissions his disciples. He commissions this next generation and he engages them in the war that they cannot avoid and that must be carried on. You see, Jesus is about to go to the cross. The cross was the secret weapon of God. It was the one thing that was going to win the war, but the battles must still continue. This secret weapon of the cross was going to be given in power to all of those who would follow Christ into battle. We have been rightly called the army of God. We have been rightly called soldiers of the cross. Our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, left his home in heaven to come to earth to raise up volunteers for the army of his Father that the war might be won. This Prince of Peace is a God of war. On the night when Jesus was about to be betrayed by his friend, he was going to be arrested and beaten, mocked, and crucified. On that night, he gathered his disciples together. You are familiar with that Last Supper. And after that Last Supper, Genesis 22, verse 28, Jesus says to his disciples, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. He identified them as, as followers, as those who had stuck with him, as those who had been with him through every difficult situation he had gone through. Verse 29, he says, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, by now this must sound pretty good. They have watched Jesus walk on water. They have watched him heal the sick. They have heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. They had seen him cast out devils. They had watched him raise the dead. They had seen him transfigured before them. And Moses and Elijah conversing with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They had seen Jesus in power and in glory. And now he says to them, I am going to give you a kingdom just like my father gave me one. And you are going to sit with me in glory. And you are going to sit on a throne judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, don't you know by now, they're imagining the romance of this war that they are being asked to engage in. 
the promise of glory, the promise of victory, the imagination that they are going to go forward and they are going to conquer and they are going to walk on water and raise the dead and cast out devils and they are going to take this moment farther. Man, war in its initial consideration, even the war between Satan and God, can sound and seem a little romantic. Then Jesus turns to Peter in verse 31, and Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, when you have recovered, when you have strengthened yourself, then strengthen your brothers. He's letting Peter know it's not going to be all easy, Peter. Yes, I'm going to give you a kingdom, and yes, you're going to reign with me, and yes, you're going to sit, and yes, victory is coming, but Peter, it's not going to be easy because Satan, this prince of darkness, this prince of the power of the air, he wants you, but I've prayed for you. And when you recover from the reality of war, make sure you don't forget to strengthen those who are going through difficult times. Verse 33, but Peter said to Jesus, Lord, <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? Man, I'm going to get a kingdom, and I'm going to get to sit with Jesus, and I'm going to, whoa, and he's prayed for me, and I'm going to be, oh, wow. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Bring it on. You get in the picture? Bring it on. You know, the romance of war, the thoughts of victories and reward. And, uh, well, Jesus let Peter know that Peter is not going to be all that easy. In fact, before the night's over, before you hear the rooster crow, you're going to end up denying me. Just Peter's, Peter is just oblivious because he's imagining all this victory and all this excitement and all this, ooh, wow, verse 35. And Jesus said to his disciples, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandal, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. And then Jesus drops a little bomb on them here in verse 36, and he said to them, but now. He said, okay, things are changing. Things change when you actually move from theory into practice. Things actually change when you move from romance to reality. I mean, you've even been, been married more than three weeks. <laughs> Hello, this is good stuff. Things are changing, he says, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and get one. Buy a sword. For I say to you, 
that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. He's saying, listen, it's not over. Just because I'm telling you that, you know, you're going to be okay and we're going to go out and you're going to do this, you're going to, you know, you're going to sit with me in my kingdom. It, you see, he said, for the things concerning me have an end. Verse 38, the disciples said to Jesus, they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus said to them, it's enough. See all this talk of fighting and war? What are they to think? So coming out, verse 39 says, out of the upper room, they went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And we know what takes place in the, in, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. You remember? Jesus says, you know, some of y'all stay here, some of y'all come with me. And then, and then he went a little further and said, pray. And he came back and they were asleep, and he went and prayed again. He came back when they were asleep. He went and prayed again, and he came back and started talking to them and said, that's okay, go ahead and sleep on. You know, you can read all the accounts. Listen, those people that are coming to arrest me, they're almost here. Don't worry about it. I got this. I got peace. All right. Uh, and don't worry about it. Verse 47, it says, and while Jesus was still speaking to the disciples, behold, a multitude and he who was called Judas, one of the 12 went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. Verse 48, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? And when those around him, when the disciples saw what was going to happen. They, it was evident. These soldiers had come with Judas to arrest Jesus. They weren't there to have a party or to have a prayer meeting. They had come to do him harm. And when the disciples saw what was going to happen, they said to Jesus, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Well, Peter didn't wait for an answer. We know from the other uh, gospel accounts that it was Peter. Here, Luke just says, you know, somebody. <laughs> and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. <laughs> you know, you need to get yourself a sword. We have two. That'll be enough. Come on, go with me. And here comes a bunch of people to do him harm. Lord, is it time for us to do the sword thing? Jesus said, wait, 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 wait. And if you read the full account of the Gospels, you see Jesus said, listen, my kingdom is not really of this world. Uh, you know, I was speaking a lot about spiritual things, okay? And, uh, spirit, you, know, uh, you know, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, okay? But they are mighty through God to the pulling down strongholds, casting down, you know. And so, uh, you know, I could call 10,000 angels, okay? Now, permit this. Let, you know, this is, these things concerning me have an end. And so let this thing play out. Peter was still, you know, all excited about the romance of war here. You know, that's the way it is. You know, when you're imagining what's going to happen and when you, you know, first get there. Again. Marriage, okay, <laughs> business it can get real exciting thinking about it, and real exciting whenever you you know right off the starting line. You know, a race. 
verse 54. Having arrested him, they led Jesus and brought him into the high priest's house. But reality is starting to sit in with Peter now. He followed at a distance. <laughs> Wait a second. Just a little bit ago, I'm ready to go to prison with you. Well, I may not really be one. I mean, pri I mean pri oh, prison. We're talking prison. Not quite as ready to be arrested now as he was. I mean, he had that experience. That, whew, all of a sudden, reality sets in. Peter followed at a distance, probably fearful and confused. Probably all of that going on on the inside of him, not knowing what to think, not knowing what to believe, not knowing now, uh, you know, what, what, what is going on all of a sudden here. And, and, and verse 56, and a certain servant girl uh, seeing Peter as he sat by the fire looked intently at him and said, this man also was with him, but Peter denied it saying, woman, I do not know this Jesus of Nazareth. I'm sorry, you're mistaken. In verse 58, and, and after a little while, another saw him and said, you are, uh, you know, you also are of them. And Peter said, man, I am not. This version is being real kind, by the way, in Peter's account. Other accounts uh, make it a little more harsh. In fact, they said he cussed and said, I don't know him. Well, after about a, an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with Jesus, for he is also a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. The Bible says right there that he cussed and said, I don't know him. Reckon what cuss word he used. <laughs> Come on. What would you have said? Huh? That's real. That's Peter. The romance has completely gone out of going to prison and going, you know, to death now. Peter done gone to cussing. <laughs> to avoid war because it's confusing and it's fearful. And all of a sudden, it got real. And as soon as Peter said, I don't know what you're saying, immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. You know, believe me, the reality of war will make a grown man cry. However, verse 63, next verse. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. You see, it wasn't over for Jesus. Peter walked away. Jesus was carried away. Peter experienced the romance of war when he imagined that he would gladly suffer prison and death and for the cause of Christ. But after being faced with that moment and its cost, Peter also experienced the reality of war. 
Peter experienced the fear that came after the heat of the moment and after the exchange and, and after he had reacted. And, and what do you do? What, what all that was going on in Peter's mind as he was struggling within himself and, 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 and wrestling within himself with this reality he, he wanted to help, no doubt. I mean, he, he wept bitterly. He wanted to help, but he wanted to hide. And he wanted, he, every man has to face himself after the battle. Whether it's a battle with your spouse, a battle with yourself, Feeling so empowered when you get born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, to be a witness for Christ. So romantic. It seems so romantic to go from this place and go out and, and tell your family and your friends about Jesus and to live that, that life, that life of a martyr, that, that you live as though you were dead, willing to go to prison, willing to go to death, but yet to find all of a sudden the cost and the reality, sometimes the embarrassment. You struggle. You want to witness. You want to share. You want to do what's right. The apostle Paul would say that what I want to do in here, I want to do it. But somehow out here, it just seems like I can't. The reality, I want to do the will of God. To engage in this war and to fight the battles and to, and, and, and to lift up the cross. But yet, where's the romance that I felt at the altar? The reality of war. It takes time to recover. But Peter did recover and he went on to face many other battles with great courage and, and with great confidence. Why? Because Peter remembered. Because Peter came to himself when he was remembering and he realized the sacrifice that Jesus made. You see, Peter must have thought back to a little earlier that same night at the Last Supper. Just a little earlier, we began reading, began earlier reading in Luke 22, verse 28. But if we were to back up to verse number 19 and see what Jesus said just a little earlier before he commissioned them as soldiers in the army of God, before he told them that it would be upon their shoulders to win this war, that he would give them a secret weapon. He was speaking about the cross and that, and that he would one day give them this kingdom. He would give them the responsibility today for this kingdom, just like God had given him the responsibility for it. But one day they would sit with him in glory. But Jesus wanted one thing. This was to his disciples his last request. Luke 22 verse 19, and Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, 
This is my body, which is given in sacrifice for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What did Jesus want? He wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be remembered for the sacrifice he gave. Jesus deserves to be remembered. And so does everyone who makes that ultimate sacrifice. Jesus wanted and deserved to be remembered. And years later, years later, after Jesus was already in heaven, he spoke to the Apostle Paul. And he told the Apostle Paul about this night on which he was betrayed. And as he is telling the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is, 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 is taking it all in. And then he repeats it as he writes it to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, uh, uh, Paul uh, 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 tells us that in the same manner, Jesus also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you commemorate, you memorialize, you remember the way that I gave my life so that you could live. You see, Jesus willingly sacrificed his life. It's not that it did not hurt him. It's not that he was not afraid. It was not that he was not hurt. It was not that he was not, uh, you know, affected by it. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If there is any other way, take this cup from me. But there was no other way. There is no other way to be free. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other way to be blessed but that someone else give their life. And as often as you gather together for the Lord's Supper, remember the way I gave my life for you until I come again. What is the life application for us today? It is befitting for our nation, one nation established under the principles of the Judeo-Christian beliefs. We were born a Christian nation. We were born one nation under God, indivisible. We were born with ideals that we were willing to give our lives, our honor, our money, our fortunes, everything we have. We are willing as a nation to go into debt, to go into prison, and even death to preserve the freedoms that we hold so dear to life. Someone paid the price. May we never forget 
I challenge you to remember, especially in this moment, that a sacrifice was made for your eternity, that someone faced death for you. Never forget the price that was paid and the cost that the Father bore. But also, I challenge you to be thankful for every American hero, to be thankful for everyone who stood on the battlegrounds willingly going forth whether it was from the romance of war or even after the reality of war, to not let their memory fade, to be a grateful nation, to be a grateful person, to realize that the life that we have was purchased by someone else. And the life we will have throughout eternity was purchased by someone else. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your freedoms but never think for one moment that they were free. The families that gave so much deserve our respect, our attention. Jesus said in John 15 that there is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. How can you show your appreciation? There's only one way that I know of to show how much you appreciate what you have been given by someone else at the cost of their life. They didn't even know you. How can you remember and show your appreciation? to a Savior for eternity, we must also step up to the plate just like the disciples did and realize it is our turn. Acts, the first chapter in verse 8, says that you shall receive power to be a witness. Once you are born again and once the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that word witness is a Greek word, martus. It means, and it's where we get the word martyr from. What is a martyr? A martyr is not someone who dies necessarily. Sometimes it costs them their life. But a martyr is someone who gives their life and lives as though they were dead. Amen. Who is willing to give it all while they live. So I challenge you in the name of Jesus. Be devoted to your family. Give yourself while you live.
Live a life giving your life for your family, for your church, for your community, for your nation, and for the eternity of souls that yet sit in darkness. Give. Give your devotion. Show your love and your willingness to sacrifice your life for others. May God give you grace because there is a power in romance. There is a power in reality, but there is also a power in remembrance. And as I remember Christ, and as I remember, you know, I'm wearing one of those little folded flags, you know, right here. No greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his friend. I have family members. I want to remember those family members who gave their life in war for our nation. I also want to never forget that I want to live my life as a sacrifice for my family, for my church, for my nation, and for the souls in eternity, people I may never see, never forget. Amen.